This is Frank Eagle Freedom, space astronaut from the land of the free and the home of the brave. And I'm speaking to you from on board the International Space Station. You know, up here, things can get pretty heated. Not just because we're so close to the sun. You see, we have astronauts up here from all over the planet Earth. And with so many cultures, it can be hard for us to find common ground. Luckily, there is one thing that we all agree on. And that is that the Uncredible Adventures podcast, well, that is some mighty fine programming right there. Whenever a new episode is released, we all drop what we're doing, we gather around the wireless, and for a glorious hour or so, there is true peace and true harmony up here. You could say the appeal of this limey Brit boy is out of this world. When my eldest two kids were small, we used to live in a small flat and there was no space on the pavement for any type of bins. So there used to be, there was kind of underneath the building, there was a a room around the back where you'd put all your rubbish bags through the week. And then on a Tuesday evening, you'd take them out and put them all on the pavement out of the front of the house, ready for the bin men on Wednesday morning. And I heard a bit of a commotion one evening after we'd put the bins out and I looked out the window. And I saw, it's probably a very familiar sight, there were some drunk people walking back from the pub. And you had sort of a small group of a a couple of guys and a couple of girls that were walking fairly quietly. And then there was one person who clearly had had way too much and he was marching down the middle of the road, shouting, singing something, waving his arms in the air, giving it all of this. And I I remember he was wearing a rather lovely pair of white skin-tight jeans. And, and some nice bright white trainers. And I was watching him, and he spotted our bin bags piled up on the pavement. And with the, the logic of anyone who's had one too many to drink and wants to show off to a group of girls, he came running over, swung his leg back, and he the, the closest bin bag to him, he booted it as hard as he could. And it, it all happened very, very fast. But what happened was he's his foot ripped through the bag and he kind of tripped and he stumbled and he, he, he tried to steady himself with his other foot but he trod on something that was in the bag which happened to be one of the dirty nappies filled with liquid human waste that had come out of my 18 month old and as he trod down on it he slipped and it was under his foot and he slid forward ripping that nappy open and several others that were in this bag and managed to, to land on his backside, sliding through the bag with a, <laughs> a brown, we can imagine what it was, a, a thick brown stain all the way from his ankles, kind of going up behind him, up his back and ending halfway up his arse. Absolutely covered in rancid. <laughs> it was probably the, the greatest moment of instant karma I've ever seen in my life. All his mates, of course, fell about the floor laughing and um, I watched him continue walking down the road. A pretty different character to the guy that had turned up. There was no, certainly no more singing and dancing and drawing attention to himself down the middle of the road. He suddenly looked like someone wanted to get home as quickly and as quietly as possible. That story, you're probably pleased to know, has got absolutely nothing to do with today's episode. It popped in my head and I wanted to share it with you. But let's start properly. Hello, welcome to Uncredible Adventures podcast with me, your host, Cornelius. I'm really pleased to have you here, whoever you are. And indeed, I say this every time, but indeed, wherever you are, because it's been an incredible week, been so exciting. So this is episode number six. It's been now just under a month since we launched, and I'm absolutely blown away because we have caught some momentum from somewhere. And over the course of this month, the listenership, the the number of people listening and finding this podcast has absolutely exploded. And even more exciting than that, we're we're certainly getting new people listening. But some of you, a fair amount of you, are hitting that subscribe button. 
you're liking what you hear, you're thinking, yeah, I want to follow this. I want to be part of the podcast. I want to come back. And we're, we're picking up even without obtaining new people where people are coming back to listen to new episodes. And that's so exciting for me. It's, I, I, I launched this podcast. I just wanted to make the podcast that I wanted to listen to. And I wasn't massively concerned about how what mass appeal we had or things like that. Really, I just wanted to get my voice out there. But the fact that we've managed to connect, the fact that some of you are enjoying it, people are talking about it because I'm not doing a huge amount of promotion. I'm pretty active on Twitter. But other than that, there's there's not much else going on. And we are we are really starting to to gain some traction. And, and what's happened, thank you to... Uh, Thank you to the astronaut from the space station earlier for his recommendation, because what, what has happened in the last week is that we've seemed to have caught on in America. So I'm based in the UK. Uh, you probably hear from my voice, but we're now getting listeners or in the last week. I'm getting listeners, downloads, feedback from from all over the globe, but especially in America at the moment, which is absolutely brilliant wonderful to see that the appeal of the show can can cross over the pond a couple of the highlights at, at, at one point in the last week we hit i think we we're in the top 80 itunes comedy podcasts in america or stand i should be see i'll be i'll be specific stand-up comedy podcasts in america we, we were in the top 80 in the uk i think we we got as high as number 73 dropped slightly obviously because we it's been a week since we had the last episode but i'm really excited to see what happens now it's completely blown my mind because it is a really busy market for podcasts there's millions of them there's some really talented people making really interesting podcasts and there, there's also some a lot of professionalism this podcast is just me and a microphone and my laptop and we're competing with some real media powerhouses some some big names so even to even to have one of you listening is is an achievement, but to to be starting to rank and, and being on these charts already is is absolutely blown me away. And, and and as a creator, as a publisher of a podcast, the the data you get about who's listening and where they're listening from is a bit patchy. There's lots of different places you can find the podcast, lots of different mediums, and you tend to get a a, a bit of a mixed patchwork of, of different information that you have to pull together to, to make some assumptions and try and draw some meaning from. But but iTunes in particular, if you listen on the I, I don't I, I I'm I'm not an Apple person, I've got to admit. I'm Android, so I d I don't really understand. But if you listen through the iTunes app on certain devices, then actually the Apple are kind enough to provide quite detailed information, nothing nothing identifying, obviously, but the type of information they're able to provide is how long you listen for, how many, t how many goes it takes you to get through the podcast episode, where people are joining, where people are leaving. There's some really quite detailed statistics that, to be honest, I'm going to have to try and not get bogged down in it because potentially pretty scary to think that I could find the exact point that people are dialing off and not listening but really really interesting and, and and things there to help me learn about this podcast and one of the things that it's not unique to me it's fairly common is there's a lot of people a lot of people at least half the people that find the podcast don't make it through at the first one percent of the show that's probably so you know, that's probably about less than a minute. A lot of people don't listen to more than a more than a minute of the show. And I, I, that's fairly typical. I think people do make an absolute instant judgment. Perhaps people dial in and hear my voice, hear my accent. It's not what they're expecting. And they immediately want to want to go elsewhere. That's why I put Mr. America at the front there. I thought maybe, uh, seeing as we seem to be doing pretty well in America, I might get past the first minute. Let's have a look how many people drop off after my actual voice comes in. <laughs> I also threw him in because do you know what I I said I wanted to make the podcast that I want to make and I I do not want to veer from that mission so I'm just going to have a bit of fun with it have a bit of a mess around and see where we go but yeah so the number of people that make these snap decisions and of course before you even click that uh, button before you even download it or start to play it we got to tap we got to tempt people in we got to we got to get people to click so. People are making snap decisions based on things like the the cover picture, which I've purposely tried to make uh, very cosy, 
the description which we've spoken about before it's really really difficult to to describe something like this and of course the top or, or a little bit of an explanation on the contents and for some podcasts i think you know particularly if you if you're picking up a podcast because you want to follow a particular subject or you're trying to learn something then that then that's clearly very important but the question i've got is with an entertainment podcast with something hopefully that you're listening to for recreation for entertainment to relax something to enjoy how important is it that it has a theme or a topic or a topic and i'm going to argue and say that actually i don't think it's hugely important so uh, whatever i write in my blurb if you read a blurb for a podcast and it says oh it's a rundown of today's news stories now depending on who presents that and the style they present it in it's going to be a vastly different show you could uh, rundown of today's news stories presented by john humphreys is going to be very very different to a rundown of news stories presented by johnny vegas or russell brand or by the crew of monty python or thinking of my american audience now I, you know, the difference between the rundown of the lo- the news from lester holt or trevor noah or alex jones or Trey Parker, uh, the people that make South Park. So both, both in the podcast charts, they both be, uh, they'd all be put in the news section potentially, news or current affairs. They might all be covering the same news stories, but you're going to get a massively different experience. They're going to make you feel different. They're going to do different things for you, depending on how they're presented, who's presenting them, and and what's important to that person. Guess the point I'm trying to get at if you think of a book or a film if you're going to recommend a film or a book to someone what we tend to do is talk about plot oh i watched a really good film on the weekend and someone will say oh, what was it about no one asks. well how does it make you feel you know what did it do for you how did how did it change your day instead we talk about plot and you can get bogged down into oh there's a guy that does this this, this that the other so i'm going to ask a favor for anyone listening if you like what you hear and a lot of you do we, we're, we're getting plenty of subscribers plenty of repeat listeners at some point we're gonna to have to come up with a name for the fans of the show but one step at a time we're not quite there yet but i'd love for you to recommend this podcast to someone either someone you know in real life or somewhere online and i'm interested not in you trying to describe what i talk about but how it makes you feel whether it it this is a bit of company for you maybe, maybe this is keeps you occupied where you're doing something else maybe it's better than silence or maybe you're totally engrossed right from start to finish and it'd be absolutely brilliant if we can share this with with more people and, and, and grow to even even greater heights and i'm trying to do my bit i've got one minute <laughs> with a lot of people i've got one percent of the podcast for people to hear and get a little flavor for what we're about and hopefully enough to just capture their attention and capture their imagination and i'm going to talk a lot about that in this episode one thing that that baffles me when you look at the podcast market and you look at and and i've got to be honest i'm talking about podcasts here that are a lot more established a lot more popular doing a lot better than me so this isn't raw criticism but it always surprises me that that what most podcasts or, or certainly big commercial podcasts tend to do is they put adverts in Right at the beginning, the very first thing you hear when you tune into a podcast is that you hear adverts. Seems like a terrible idea for me. And I kind of get it. If you were an advertiser looking to pick up a podcast and knowing that so many people will only listen to the first minute or two. Well, that's where you want your advert. No point advertising in a podcast that no one listens to. But in terms of engaging the audience and and building their audience and drawing people in who are potentially interested it seems like a terrible idea to me far better i think to let the podcast get going get people a little bit interested and a a little bit intrigued about what you're going to talk about and then you can just slip the adverts in without people noticing you slip them in smoother than the creamy head on a cold refreshing pint of boddington's the cream of manchester please drink responsibly what is that bit they do at the end of well this is in the uk do you have it in america i don't know we we tend to follow what you're doing so i'm guessing it came from you first but it's clearly a little bit of legal jargon or or 
something like that that means at the end of any advert for alcohol they have to say please drink responsibly what does that what does that even mean please drink responsibly and how does tagging it onto the end of an advert make any difference to the outcome there's um some betting adverts i'm not going to say the name of the company but there's some betting online betting adverts that i caught earlier in the week and the theme of this advert that what basically the advert went you know you you love you love gambling and you've you know that the best way to do it is to have fun and not get caught up and not not lose the shirt off your back but that'll never happen to you because you are in control so set your limits take a break when it gets too much and then get right on back to the table gambling and effectively it was an, it was advertising a gambling platform based on the tools that they've put in to try and help people who are suffering from a gambling addiction or have a real problem with gambling to try and keep control of that and not not gamble more than they can afford not ruin their entire lives that's really really uh, that's that's pretty bad isn't it you're, you're aiming your advert at people who identify as not being able to control their gambling by promising them something that i guarantee it doesn't make any difference at all because unfortunately that's not the way addiction or compulsion or any of these things work and giving someone a false sense of security giving pretending that oh it's, it'll be different this time we know that you lost your entire family and everything you own but it'll be different this time because you can set your limits and you can we've got you know we've got a call out room it seems massively underhand and it that's another thing where we've got this please drink responsibly presumably come from the government at some point to say well you need to do this to try and curb people having a problem with alcohol They've done the same thing with gambling by saying, well, you need to introduce these controls or limits or, or whatever it is to try and help people not to um, gamble more than they were planning to or more than they can afford. And then you've got the gambling company weaponizing that and turning it round and being like, brilliant. The fact that we've got this can help us draw in people who have, who have uh, recovering gambling addicts or the type of people that really get into trouble with gambling. That's exactly who we want. And, and we can protect ourselves with this little legal disclaimer. That's that's all that is. Surely, please drink responsibly. It's just a legal disclaimer. You ever park in a car park and they put a sign up and they say the management accept no responsibility for loss or damage to your vehicle while you're parked here? It made me wonder earlier. I, I saw that earlier in the week and I thought, well, can you really do that? Can you just absolve yourself of responsibility by putting a sign up? And what, what are the limits of that? You know, if... if if someone that owns a car park can absolve themselves of any responsibility for your car just because they've got a sign up, then could I, could I, if I'm holding a sign saying anyone that, that comes near me is likely to get punched in the face, and then if I do punch someone in the face, I can use the, the sign in my defence to say, well, look, I did, I did warn you, and it says very clearly here that I accept no responsibility for damage to your face, however it's caused. So I looked this up and I found a blog on illegal website here and, and I'll, I'll paraphrase a little bit but basically it says that if you're the owner of a premises or a business so you, you've got a legal duty to take care of visitors people that come on so you've got a legal duty to make sure that they are reasonably safe in using the premises for the purposes in which you they're permitted to be there or you've invited them okay so that makes sense so it doesn't matter if you put a sign up or not you are responsible for keeping people or, or no you're not responsible for keeping people safe you are responsible for taking precautions and creating an environment that it can reasonably expected that people will be safe in and but there is a thing called the occupiers liability act and it says it does not impose on the occupier the duty to guard goods brought into the premises by visitors against damage or theft and it gets a little bit technical here. It talks about special relationships or bailment. Where there's no bailment, the common law is that there's no duty on the occupier to protect the goods of his visitors from theft or damage by a third party. And you want to get really specific. A license to put goods on the land, as is the case of most car parks, does not make the operator of the car park a bailee. So it does not impose on him the duty to self safeguard cars in the car park. So there you have it. The... You park your car in a car park, they they have absolutely no liability. They have liability to make sure you are safe, but they have absolutely no liability or responsibility to make sure that your car is safe. And you cannot 
sue them or seek any type of damages if your car is damaged or broken into or anything like that by a third party. So the signs are pretty much redundant. Why do they put the signs there anyway? Who who knows? I know that's that's pretty dry. You're probably wondering where I'm going with this. And if you made it past the first minute, I'll probably see a drop of people coming off here. So there you have it. If you are parking your car in a public car park, there is no liability or no guarantee and you've got no comeuppance against the people that own that car park if something happens to your car i'd like to point out that i accept no responsibility for the results of you taking legal advice from a comedy podcast the the legal advice that i did give you there actually is 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 probably totally wrong it's not british law it's not american law Uh, i realized only after i'd read most of the article and and sort of planned what i was going to say that it came from a jamaican legal firm and and i'd just like to thank the fact that i'm using my platform to talk about the jamaican legal system we can thank okay google for that i'm not going to say that word again because i know i've heard someone say it in a podcast and it's triggered my one so i'm going to say okg for this next bit while i'm talking about the little mini speakers you can get that connect to the internet and you can talk to them and ask them to do various tasks and give you information and ask them can a can a car park legally disclaim any responsibility for a car that's in there although the results might not be entirely what you're expecting i had a had a very frustrating conversation with my okg earlier this week i was cooking some rice we've got one in the kitchen it's brilliant so i was cooking some rice and i'd asked okg to set an alarm to go off when the the rice was due to come off about 10 11 minutes went by i realized the alarm hadn't gone off and i was thinking this this feels like something's gone wrong here there's no nothing visual you're just talking to this box on the wall it feels like things are wrong so i said now this isn't my first rodeo i know how pernickety this uh, this system can be and how it, it really doesn't try and be helpful so i said okay okay gee how long is left on my timer and again really helpfully it said your timer is due to go off at 7:54." i wasn't wearing a watch and i couldn't see a clock <laughs> so really so i have to go back okay gee what is the time now the time now is 7:54. now it sounds fairly simple but i'd forgotten already what it the time it had told me before and i was thinking that sounds familiar but i can't remember so i had to go back i said okay what what time is my alarm due to turn off looks like you don't have an alarm set. <sighs> okay gee what time is my timer due to go off the timer is due to go off at 7 54 i said okay it's 7 54 so i said okay gee why haven't you set the alarm off you stupid piece of tech rubbish and this wonderful machine says okay Here's a playlist I found that's Eastern European post-industrial death metal. Starts playing it at full volume. Honestly, I don't know where we'd be without this technology, but I'm just pleased I've got a platform here where I can um, finally moan about the day-to-day inconveniences. And without further ado, I'm going to lead you into the episode now. This is episode number six of the Uncredible Adventures podcast. It's called Story Science. I hope you enjoy it. Wherever you are, please subscribe. Please leave me a a rating, leave me a review. And even better, please tell someone about the podcast. See you on the other side of the jingle. So Netflix has had a wobble this week. What was the sequence? I think it started, they lost 200,000 subscribers, which I think is the first quarter on history since they've started that they haven't grown. So uh, a big indication that potentially things are slowing down or potentially even reversing, which is death for any business. And people have been... Uh, really quick to put the boot in the the share prices has tumbled and it's top line news everywhere and some of the types of opinions and things that i've seen have been from from people gloating really i guess who who believe that the the reason for the decline and 
let's be honest, 200,000 is tiny for a company like that. 200,000 is a drop in the ocean. It's what it represents rather than what it is. But people are, there's some people who really want to truly believe that the decline is because of the political agenda or the social agenda that was coming through from Netflix programming. And it's broadly pretty liberal and very inclusive. And I and there's definitely people, I think, who want to believe that that's why people are turning away and that's what's happened to the business. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that's true. I think, to be honest, if anything, didn't we all sign up to watch Tiger King right at the beginning of lockdown? And we absolutely hoovered up everything on there and then maybe we're realising we don't watch it quite so much. But, yeah, I'm not going to talk about Tiger King. I could. What an incredible documentary. If you haven't seen it, I thoroughly recommend it. But in fact, I've been a member of Netflix since since it first came to the UK. So it was launched in 2007 in America as, I think, a mail-order DVD rental company. And then before it, before it grew and expanded and became the online streaming company that we know today. But I remember in, in 2012... They had, just as it was coming to the UK, they had one of the executives on, he gave an interview on Radio 4. Yeah, I'm contractually obliged to mention Radio 4 in just about every episode of this show, it seems. But yeah, this this guy came on, and I remember him saying, this is going to change the way that we consume TV. This is going to con- change the way that, that people think about things. And he, he got tackled quite hard by the presenter saying, well, look, people are already paying a TV license and they're already paying for Sky TV. Surely there's not any space in the market for another subscription-based television service. And, and I guess for me, he was entirely right because I hadn't been paying for either of those things. I hadn't at that point watched TV in years. And I, I listened to this guy and I thought, oh, here we go, a, a movie service, some of these films that I want to watch, I could start to watch them again. So ideal. So I, I remember signed up right back then from the start and I do remember first logging on thinking oh wonderful here we are I know you know I've got a list of films I want to watch and searching for them and being really disappointed that you couldn't find anything that you knew um, but then the delight really I think with Netflix was that it started getting me watching things I didn't know I did I did look this up this week while I was thinking about this episode just to make sure that I had the dates and things right and what I hadn't realised and I've, I've totally seemed to have missed this news, was that this isn't the first time that Netflix has had a wobble. This is not the first time that they've had real problems. And the last time they had it, or the last major time they had it, was right when I signed up. So in 2012, they did two things in America. And the first was that they put the price up. And the second was that they immediately, at that point, tried to split the company. So they were running it simultaneously, that you could order... DVDs or videos through the post but you could also stream online and they had to take the decision effectively that they were going to they, they, they could see the future they know they were going to end up not sending DVDs anymore but at that point they wanted to run the two businesses separately so they split them out and it was disastrous because you can imagine the price has just gone up and then you get told that you're only getting half the service or you have to choose which way you go they lost 800,000 subscribers in the third quarter of last year it's from an article that I read and and that was right before they came to the UK so I wouldn't (laughs) I wouldn't write Netflix off yet they've they've been through worse Uh, this this article I read was all about Netflix coming to the UK and it said this this tickled me for a a little blast from the past here Uh, it just had a line that said it's likely to get a tough time over here when it faces well-established rivals such as Sky Movies Tesco's Blinkbox YouTube and Love Film Tesco's Blinkbox I don't think somehow it sounds slightly familiar Blinkbox certainly but Tesco's Blinkbox what was that I I don't remember it. Love film, I do remember. That was definitely a mail-order movie film. I, d- I don't know what happened to them. They they obviously disappeared. So if I remember love film, it was, all, it was like going to Blockbuster on a Friday night. They just had the movies. They came from the cinema and then they went to DVD and that's all they did. And that was what I was expecting when I signed up to Netflix. Unlimited 
streaming of movies and like i said i couldn't find what i was looking for but instead i found things that i i wouldn't have otherwise watched well, i certainly wouldn't because i didn't watch tv but equally they were they were a bit off the beaten track it wasn't just turning on the normal channels and it was it was a different and fresh perspective and back then they were running on much more of a shoestring i don't think they were making much of their own programming and they they had to search really hard so you had a lot of foreign cinema in there very very small tv shows and, and odd things it was quite a quite a fascinating time but I, I think it's really it's almost impossible to overestimate just how much netflix has changed the tv landscape and it's done that in a huge amount of ways but the most significant thing that changed when we started watching Netflix was virtually everyone was likely to start a TV show, start a series at episode one. So if someone was, was looking to start a new show, they'd go right to episode one and start to watch it and, and build their knowledge of the characters and of the situations and things that went through. Unlike live television the way we consumed that where there was unless you caught something on the very first episode it's far more likely that most of the shows you you know and love you joined it from episode number three or you would miss episodes or you dip in you dip out and what that meant was that for things to be shown on netflix and they did very quickly start making things specifically for netflix but for shows on netflix it meant for for tv makers or for filmmakers that they didn't have to make tv series where every episode is self-contained um so suddenly you could have a, a tv show where you didn't have to have a, an explanation at the beginning of, of every episode you didn't have a, a have to have a self-contained storyline that just uh, that resolved itself with perhaps an afterthought to the the overarching storyline it didn't have to be approachable for everyone in, an episode in season nine episode number four didn't need to explain itself to the viewer because the viewer would have watched the entire series up to that point and would understand all of the in-jokes, would understand all of the references and would understand what was going on. And up until that point, really, it, it was difficult. They did, of course they did do it. Of course you'd have TV shows that had a, a, a running theme, but they were still playing by this self-contained episode rule, even if there was an overarching narrative and of course they had to make cliffhangers not that would keep you hanging on the edge of your seat for the five seconds it takes for the next episode to load but cliffhangers that would last for an entire week and, and would keep you talking about it you imagine the freedom then of of being a tv maker only realizing that I, not every episode has to be gripping right from the beginning and not every episode has to have the same arc or the same pace and they could experiment um, almost exactly, to be honest, almost exactly unlike a podcast where I spoke earlier about how many people listen to 1% of the podcast. They they, they either download it, I, I guess that's either they download it and don't listen at all, or they hear the first 30 seconds and make a stat judgment. No, this isn't worth my time. And I'm sure that's no different for a lot of TV or, or virtually anything that you consume. People have the same, people have the same attention span. But in effect, with a, with a Netflix show, instead of having to compete with that every single episode to draw people in who hadn't already seen it or who weren't already with the programme to try and get them involved, you could be confident that you only had to do that in the very first episode. The first minute of the first episode would be that that one minute that everyone watched before they, they decided whether they were going to get involved or not. The, the, the exact opposite of what happens here, where my episodes, I get more and more people listening each time and yet we get people wonderful they go back to the first episode and they listen and if they're engaged enough they go and listen to some early ones but i have to every episode i make has to be self-contained has to have a start middle and an end it has to be accessible to someone that hasn't listened to it before i'm not complaining i like the challenge i think it keeps it fresh but it does mean there's some things i can't do no matter, uh, I don't particularly want to do them, but there, there are experiments I can't make. And for me on Netflix, the show that really sums it all up is Breaking Bad. If it, if it was not for Netflix, honestly, I don't think Breaking Bad 
could exist. It, uh, you, can't, you can't see that. The way television was before Netflix, you can't see a show that does some of the things Breaking Bad does. So it plays with pace. It has some episodes that are really fast and lots of things happen. And then it'll have episodes where absolutely nothing happens. There, there's one episode where a f- the, the Walter White finds a fly in his lab and I'm pretty sure that the the only thing that happens in an entire hour-long episode is him chasing this fly around the lab and slowly going insane. And it really unpicks a bit the, the fastidiousness of the character. But it's a really, really slow episode that only works because you're so invested with the character and you, you're so invested with the overall storyline and you know what's happened. It's certainly, if you were flicking through the TV late one night looking for something to watch and that was what came up, you would probably never... And I bet there's people that did that. I bet there's people that just caught that episode and never thought, oh, I'm never going to watch Breaking Bad. It was It's terrible and can't understand why everyone spoke about it and it got so big. I could think of a few shows that I've only caught in passing uh, a few times over the years and I'm absolutely sure I don't want to watch them. I'm not going to name them, actually, because they're these type of shows got really strong fandoms who would probably be utterly offended by my assessment and no, I'm not getting myself into that. Do you remember I said earlier, I was talking about how the plot is not the episode, the, pl- the plot is not what makes a book, the genre, the plot, the style. These are the things where if anyone asks you, if you said, oh, I've, I've watched a good movie and they'll ask you, well, what was the plot? Think about Breaking Bad the the plot oh i'm starting to watch this really great show and you asked the question what's it about and they said oh it's about like drugs and this drug dealer who and, and it's a chemistry she's dying of cancer and oh he's played by the dad that's from malcolm in the middle you wouldn't watch that you'd think oh, what do i want to watch a show about terminally ill people drug dealers fronted by a comedy actor and of course, that it does have quite a strong storyline, but it's it's more a much more gripping exploration of a human, and that's why I find it very difficult because the plot is not what made, or, or certainly the subject, let's say, is not what made Breaking Bad good. It was the way that it was filmed. It was how human and raw and how it explored these challenges and moral dilemmas in in such a an interesting and compelling way and yet the copycats spawn this copycat spawning that basically just want to copy the subject in the hope i guess of attracting people and i've watched little bits of some of these shows and they're not made in the same way they're totally different but there's there's loads there's probably loads of them out there and if if you can think of any i don't mention now please hit me up on twitter at uncredible pod on twitter or at uncredible adventures even on instagram movies that came or sorry tv series that came after breaking bad that are related to a normal person getting into drug dealing or something similar. There's hundreds of them. There's one I've seen that's about a single mum who starts dealing cannabis to... to A single mum who starts dealing cannabis to look after her child and and to bring them up. What about Ozark? Did you see that? It's got the main guy from Arrested Development. He's an accountant and he ends up getting embroiled in some trouble and he has to become a money launderer for a drug cartel. But it's not Breaking Bad. And and I've said a lot lot that Breaking Bad is not about the subject, but what is it? And I I want you to think, think all the way back, and you probably, as I just said, you probably started Breaking Bad right at episode one, because most of us did. And the very first line in it, Walter White is teaching a class. And it's the first day. And the first thing he says, he says, chemistry is the study of change. And you don't realise it at the time, but what an opening line for the show. He, he stums up the entire show in one word. The study of change. And the beauty of Breaking Bad is watching Walter White 
Walter White. The beauty of Breaking Bad is watching Walter White change from downtrodden, poor, beaten, timid man to a ferocious leader, a vicious criminal boss. And, and one of the most powerful scenes in Breaking Bad is where the the, the wife of Walter White reads or, or sees the news that someone connected to crime had opened their front, been shot on their own doorstep. And she tries to talk to Walter to say, I know you're getting yourself mixed up in something. And what if that happens to you? And Walter absolutely blows his top. I am the one who knocks. You think that of me? It, it's... Oh, it, it's such a powerful scene because that's the point where you realise she's still looking at him through the lens of the the Walter White she knew, the husband she's had, who was a victim, who was downtrodden, and she hadn't seen him transform into the person he was now, who was in fact, he, he'd organised this hit, he'd organised this person to be shot, he was the one that that created that danger. I am the danger. And aside from anything else you saw in Breaking Bad, that study of change, that change in Walter White, was what made that show compelling. Because the heart of any story is change. So one minute, everything's fine. You're fast asleep in bed. It's quiet. There's nothing going on. The next minute, something changes. The doorbell rings. Ding dong. You wake up in bed. Your heart is frozen. The doorbell's gone. It's two o'clock in the morning. Who can be at the door? Now, this is a, a story-based podcast. I want to improve it. I, I, I constantly want to improve. So I've been reading a book this week. It's by a chap called Will Storr, uh, S-T-O-R-R. And it's called The Science of Storytelling. And it looks at storytelling and stories, but with a real focus on how our brain works and the psychology of the story. It's not like the aspects of a good story or the framework or the outline. Really, it's about the psychology and how our brains are, have evolved to process stories. And I hope the author would agree with me that plot is not actually hugely important to what makes a compelling story. And I've said that a few times tonight the big aspect of the most prominent aspects of what makes a good story is change and you have to think about that this book is incredible i recommend you look it up you read it i've actually listened to it as an audio book it's it's read by the author so and i'm not i'm not going to give too much away now but it was fascinating i really enjoyed it it talks about what separates human from animals and and, and what makes our brains different to, to animals. And some of the things that really stood out, like the fact that we anthropomorphize everything compulsively. And I, I told a story earlier about me getting angry with the the, the smart speaker I've got. I didn't want to say it then, I didn't want to trigger it. The smart, the smart... I told a story earlier about me getting in trouble with the smart speaker I've got and how... It really, in that moment, it felt so personal. It felt like that does have a lady's voice, to be fair, but it was it's a little speaker on the ro on the wall. I know it's a robot, but it feels really personal, and I insult it. I mean, the swear words that I've hurled at that thing, the data that Google are holding on me, probably enough to entirely wreck my reputation. But But you do it with everything. If you, you stub your toe on the edge of the bed... I guarantee you, you would shout that bed. You might even kick the bed. I'm going to kick that bed because of what it did to me. It's <laughs> so ingrained in, in human nature. But the, the bit that really separates a human, and it's what animals can't do, is the ability to imagine what other people are thinking or feeling. So the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes or, or see things through someone else's mind and imagine that someone else have a different perspective and we do it we do it absolutely compulsively as humans so I, I remember i did quite a lot of reading 
years and years ago, I got very interested in sort of pop psychology. One of the things I read was some work by Mihai Taishet Mihai, or something like that. I, I memorized that so that at parties and when I was talking to people, I could sound really knowledgeable because it's quite a difficult name. I think that's about right. Mihai Taishet Mihai. So he's a, a Hungarian biologist. He talks about how the brain works and how at any given moment, through all of your senses combined you're taking in over 11,000 bits of information and your brain cannot or, or does not process all of the information it can only process 40 bits at a time so what it does with all of this information and it, it deletes a load of it it distorts some of it and it generalizes everything else so if you look up at the sky on a dark night you will just see black and it's only when you pay attention and really try and look and you're telling your brain, this is important, this requires my focus, that stars will start to appear and you start to see them. The more you look, the more you see. And that's because your brain is tuned in. At the same time, you probably at that point forget how your feet are feeling cold or you stop hearing things that are going on. But what it all means in practice is that you get what you're looking for so if you walk into a you walk into a pub and you're expecting it to be hostile and unfriendly and you're going to feel uncomfy and no one wants to see me here well that's what your brain will be on the lookout for you'll be scanning the room and it'll only be the people that are dangerous or the people that are giving you dirty looks or the things that are unpleasant that stand out to you whereas if you go in with the opposite and you're expecting it to be a really you're on holiday and you expect this to be a really nice place and you're really looking forward to it and you're excited for the night out your brain will scan around and it won't see the overflowing ashtrays and the the scabby dog that's um <laughs> that's peeing in the corner you see the happy faces you pee -pee, see people laughing you you'll see the nice things that are going on and, and this was this is one of the stats out of the book it, it said about there'd been experiments where they do police training courses and they they're training police and they have to do a controlled or the employ actors and they have to pull them over and decide whether to inspect the car and all the rest of it and they found that 58 percent of new police officers that were training would miss a gun that was sitting in plain sight on the dashboard because they're not looking for it. And they would definitely see it because it's right there, but because they were thinking of other things, because they were concentrating on the training they'd been given, which was to look for verbal, non-verbal cues with the people, the person you're interviewing, they would miss the really obvious stuff in front of them. And they, and they did this again with, uh, and again, get the book, read the book, but they did it with very experienced officers and found exactly the same thing. And here's where it gets really interesting is that what you expect to see is driven so much by the language by the language you use and this is what i love about podcasts so much because i'm using language and i am using my voice and my tone and i'm speaking directly into your ears to try and convey messages but and that language is so powerful so a couple of examples here in russian they have two words for blue they separate blue in their language they have a word for uh, light they have a word for light blue and they have a different word for dark blue which means throughout you know from the moment you start learning your colors from the moment they start learning language they'll be splitting blue either into light blue or dark blue and not as a single entity and as a result the russian rainbow has got eight colors in it because in Russia, they count two blues in there, whereas the rest of the world, the rainbow only has seven colors. And this is even more interesting. So in Homer's Odyssey, ancient, ancient text, there is no mention of the color blue at all. It talks about a wine-dark sea, but doesn't mention blue at all. And it's a feature of civilizations so it's the last color to appear in the greek the chinese japanese hebrew language and and there's evidence to say that before there was a word for blue people couldn't see it they did they didn't <laughs> they knew something was there but they couldn't see blue in the way that we do so there's a language historian called lazarus geiger 
and he studies ancient texts and he, he realized that there's a, a pattern for colors developing in ancient texts and in all ancient texts that black and white or light and dark is the first color the further that that is given a language or given words then red always red i guess for blood for danger important color then yellow and then green and then blue always came in last and the ancient egyptians were the very first civilization to have a word for blue up until that point there was no language that had a word specifically for blue and it's no coincidence that the ancient egyptians were the very first civilization that ever discovered or invented a blue dye and and there's even there's more recent experiments so there's a um tribe called the himba tribe in nambia who have a language that doesn't have a blue so they've got no word for blue and they've done experiments a chap called jules davoff a chap called jules davidoff who basically went and did some experiments with these people where quite a simple he would he would show them a picture that effectively was little green squares all around a page and one of them would be blue and he'd asked them to pick out he'd asked them to pick out the square that was the odd one out now immediately you would spot that straight away because it's well that's blue and that's green but what he found with these tribes people where there's no word for blue is that they could not or it took them much longer and in in many cases i think they couldn't do it at all to spot that a that a blue square was different from a green square and and i think that the most fascinating part of that study was then he repeated the experiment but there was no blue square but he used different shades of green, so very slightly different shade of green for one of the squares to the others. And almost immediately, the people he did this experiment on could pick out the green that was slightly different shade to the others, where they couldn't pick out a blue at all, which should have been completely different. And they've got a lot of uh, language. Their language there has a lot of words for green. They differentiate lots of different shades of green. And it makes them better at this observational task and that's all about you get what you're looking for you get what you receive and a lot of i'm not gonna start talking about self-help or go into things like that now but when you think about positive affirmations when you think about gratitude when you think about mindfulness a lot of this is about focusing your mind on what you want to see what you what you need to see and what needs to be real and the evidence is that you get exactly like I said, you get what you are looking for. So there's another another key to the way that the human brain works that you should that is important for storytelling, and that is whenever you start to hear a story right from the beginning, your brain this this ability, like I said, to put your brain into someone else's to see something from a different perspective to imagine reality for someone or something else when you start to hear a story your brain makes a model of the story it starts trying to map out the story and get a grip of the reality from the perspective of the person that's telling it and it furiously tries to fill the blanks it it, it works in overdrive desperately trying to fill blanks and actually the less the more blanks there are the more intrigued your brain is and this is that that's the hook that's the bit that in a story in a podcast in a show that should get you hooked is when your brain furiously is trying to fill the gaps and it can't and it knows you need to listen more you need to get more observed absorbed to try and find out the truth to try and complete this picture and it's building the picture for survival reasons it's building the picture because it needs to know what's happening in this situation so it can protect you from any, any dangers it's a brilliant if i recommend one film eternal sunshine of the spotless mind it's got jim carrey not not playing a clown which is quite rare but play, playing a serious role and it's a film that deals with effectively what would happen if your mind was wiped, if you didn't remember the past and then you started to meet people that you'd known in the past, how confusing that would be for them, how confusing it would be for you. And the whole film is shot out of sequence. So 
Kate Winslet is the girlfriend in it and effectively her hair changes throughout the movie and you what you're doing as a an observer is you know something's not right because that people have odd conversations that don't make sense and, and start to realise that actually you're not seeing the scenes in the order they happened. You're seeing them in a totally or- random order. So sometimes it's flash forward before someone lost their memory. Sometimes it's flash back. Sometimes you're somewhere in the middle. And you start to track it through the hair on Kate Winslet. That's a great... If you, you want to sit back and observe your brain and see how how your brain works when you're trying to solve a mystery and how how you're trying to piece things together that is a film i'd absolutely recommend so i guess the test are you the the story i told it's actually a true story i started earlier about the doorbell at night were you intrigued are you were you interested to know what happened is that a good story so i'll I'll start again two o'clock in the morning on a random tuesday i'm lying in bed and the doorbell goes. Bing bong. Immediately I'm wide awake. Who could be at the door? Who's ringing the doorbell? My brain starts flying through in that split second every single reason I can possibly think of for why someone would be ringing my doorbell at two o'clock in the morning. And none of them are good. None of them has a good outcome. I can't think of a single positive reason why someone would ring my doorbell at two o'clock in the morning. But wow, I get a fiesta of bad things, terrible things that could happen. It could be a psychopath that's knocking on my door because they want me to, they're looking for someone to murder. Could be the police knocking on my door telling me that uh, (laughs) something terrible's happened to someone. It could be the fire brigade hammering on the door because the back of the house is on fire. Could be, I mean, it didn't even have to involve me, but it could be that someone's had a, a crash out in the street and they need my help. Even that's not good. I don't want to get involved with that. Or a heart's pumping. And what do you do? You can't ignore it. Because I think if there's if there's anything that could be more scary than your doorbell going at two o'clock in the morning, it's your doorbell going twice at two o'clock in the morning. And I do not want to be lying in bed pretending I can't hear it and then hear the doorbell ring again. Hear someone rattling the door, and then, what, hear broken glass? No way, I've got to deal with it. So the last thing I want to do is to go anywhere near it, but I know I've got to. So I I marched down the stairs. I turned all the lights on as I went, because I think, you know, I'm not, whatever happens, it's not happening in the dark. I'm claiming this, I'm I'm not playing by those rules. I turn all the lights on, deep breath, open the door, and, Nothing. There's no one there. Completely empty. I look up and down the road. I can't see anyone out there. There's no one in the front garden. There's no one around the side. There's no one stealing apples off my apple tree. I turn around and I look and I see that the doorbell is no longer attached to the front door. And then I remembered it was the doorbell has got a rechargeable battery and I took it off earlier that day and it's sitting on the phone charger somewhere in the house being charged and that means that whoever rang my doorbell at two o'clock in the morning did it from inside the house someone is messing with me someone is in my house and they want me to know that they're there so I run through to the living room and sure enough there it is the doorbell is there it's plugged in I've turned all the lights on there's no one in that room what do you do? I ran upstairs are the kids still okay? yep the kids are fine everyone's alright upstairs I looked in every room there's no one upstairs I looked all the way downstairs I tested all the doors they're all locked everything's shut I can't work out what's going on I'm just about to realise that i just got to go to bed and deal with this I can't it's a total mystery I don't know what happened something came in and pressed that button I pray that it never happens again and it's only as I'm just walking through doing a final sweep of the kitchen trying to check that there's no one in there that I notice the microwave light the clock on the microwave is flashing zero 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 I think that's a bit odd 
I look and the oven is doing the same thing, zero, 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 zero. I was trying to work out what's happened. And it strikes me that both of those are flashing zero, zero because we've had a power cut. And suddenly it all falls into place. So it's nothing to do with the doorbell. It's to do with the receiver. We've got a plug-in receiver that you press the doorbell and it sends a signal to the receiver that's plugged in to ring. Now, what happens with those, and I know it, when you plug them in for the first time, they ring to let you know they have power. So when the power goes off in the middle of the night and you sleep through it, you don't know anything about it. It's only when the power comes back on at 2 a.m. that it rings your doorbell and wakes you up. So there we are. The mystery is solved. I hope I told that in a an entertaining and a, a, a thrilling way that, that you wanted to hear what happened. And that was what I was aiming for. I'm trying to use what I'd learnt from the science of storytelling to tell a true story in a way that will reel you in. Is the plot important? No, the plot is not important. That's a terrible plot. Honestly, if you broke, if you told, if someone said, "Oh, oh I heard a really good podcast yesterday." Cornelius, yeah, really good. Oh, what's it about? Oh, well, he told a story that he woke up in the night because the doorbell went and he thought it might be someone at the door to murder him. But when he went down, he realised that he had a power cut and it just, um, it wasn't that at all. It was it was ringing the other bell. Good story? No, absolutely not. So it's not about the plot. It's about the way you tell it. And what a huge sense of relief i hope you felt a little bit of the sense of relief which was immediately replaced by true horror i was walking up the stairs and realized that when i'd gone to bed earlier i hadn't turned the heating off well that is it for this evening i've i didn't cover half the things i want to talk about but i i don't want to push this much over the hour that's a good thing i covered the most important things and we've got plenty of stories and plenty of interesting things left for future podcasts thank you so much for joining me as ever i hope wherever you are whatever you've been doing i've been giving you a bit of company a bit of community and whatever you've been doing it we've been doing it together someone someone made a comment on twitter the other day and i really made me realize they talked about podcasts being able to offer company and community to people who might otherwise be alone and I realised, so what podcasts mean for me, I travel a lot for work. I stay in hotels two or three nights a week, week in, week out, away from my family, away from my friends, away from everyone. I stay on my own in hotels and it can get pretty lonely. And for me, the podcast that I love and the podcast that I listen to are my friends, my company, my home away from home, they're people that I can, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I can have some familiarity, I can be surrounded by people I like and in the company of a community that is important to me and I feel part of. And that's what I want from this podcast. I hope that I'm giving you good company. I hope you're starting to feel like part of our community. There's a lot of you listening and people are starting to really pay attention. So before long, you're going to be able to find people, you know, but there's a lot of you listening, people are paying attention. So please look us up on Twitter at IncrediblePod. Look me up on Instagram at Incredible Adventures. We've got a Facebook page, which I think is Incredible Adventures Pod after the Facebook.com. Reddit as well. You Uncredible Adventures is my username. Reach out. Be part of this community. You don't have to. If you want to just take this, if you want to sit and listen and be anonymous, that's fine. Absolutely fine. But I'd love it. If you want to, if you want to make contact, if you want to start to help me build this community, I'd love you to do that. Please reach out. And the final thing, please recommend this show. Think of someone you know that would be mildly amused, that would slightly enjoy this show, that would their life would not be made worse by having a go and listening to this and start to build your own communities. It may be something that you find uh, commonality with someone so have a think of someone that likes the podcast and please make a recommendation and have a think about what i said earlier so we don't want a description of the topic we don't want a description of the genre we certainly don't want the plot i mean what what did we do here i did a review for a non-fiction book about psychology and i talked about netflix news 
that I, I don't want to. I wouldn't want to listen to that. So please don't do that. Tell people how the show makes you feel. Do you feel connected to it? Are you amused? Are you relaxed? Are you inspired? Do I turn you on? <laughs> anyway, I am Cornelius. I've started calling myself Cornelius the Uncredible uh, while I try and work out what my stage third aim is going to be. But I am Cornelius. You are listening to the Uncredible Adventures podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, please subscribe. Please give me a rating. <laughs> please leave a review. Have a wonderful the rest of whatever you're doing. It's been a pleasure. If this is your first one and you enjoyed it, please go back, um, do a Breaking Bad on me, start from episode number one, see where we came from. The The show's evolving and changing so rapidly and there's probably a bit of interest there from someone to, to listen to where we started and over the course of just six episodes, how far we've got from that point. And hopefully you'll agree that the podcast is improving. Certainly I feel that I'm more comfortable, I'm speaking more naturally and, and you're getting more from the heart from me. But without further ado, thank you so much for listening to the Uncredible Adventures podcast. I am Cornelius. Cornelius. <laughs>